who heard that Jesus, this man who had raised another from the dead, was coming to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and they said that we want to see Jesus. And, and I said that I thought that was a pretty natural reaction, that if you heard about somebody who, who raised someone else from the dead, that you, you probably would want to see him. And so at the end of my message, I had this illustration. I don't know if you were here or, or if you missed it, but give me, let me give you a recap in case you weren't here. I, I took these stands, and I placed one on each corner of the stage, and then I put these signs on them, and one that said ultimate good and one that said ultimate evil. And I, I asked for some volunteers, some people to come and, and help me out. And, uh, and I got a few willing volunteers, and I got a few begrudging volunteers. But, you know, Lord bless you, you came up anyway. And you came up, and we, and we invited you to think about who would you put, you know, when you think of ultimate good, who do you think of? And who, when you think of ultimate evil, who do you think of? And, you know, we had, you know, on ultimate evil, I think we had Hitler, and then on ultimate good. We had uh, Billy Graham and Mother Teresa, and then we had a couple other people in the middle somewhere on that spectrum. And, and we came to this place of understanding that, that even at the ultimate good side, that Billy Graham and Mother Teresa had their issues too, that they were sinful, that they were a part of fallen humanity. And I brought out this, this third sign, and it said heaven and hell. And I asked you, where should we put it? You know, based on the works of these individuals, uh, you know, maybe does, does Mother Teresa make the cut, right? Does, does Hitler make the cut? What about the people in the middle? I asked you, where do we put that sign? And we came to this place where we understood that what, what the Bible says is that all have fallen short of the glory of God, that all have sinned, and that nobody, even Billy Graham, could stand here upon his own merit. But the only reason that anybody could stand in that place is because the only one that could stand there, Jesus Christ, who came and lived a sinless life, took on sin and died on our behalf so that we may inherit his destiny. We got pretty excited about that. And I, and I asked you a question, and I said, uh, I said, if we really believe that, is it, how is it possible for us to not share that with someone else? If we really believe that we have been moved from a place of death to a place of life, how can we have that transformational experience and not shout it from the rooftops? And so I challenged you to invite somebody to church. And in hindsight, I kind of feel a little disappointed in myself. I do. I feel a little disappointed in myself because, because I think as, as, as a challenge, it fell a little short. It fell short. And I, I want to honor those of you who did that, that it might have been a big step for you, but I think it, it kind of it begins to play into this idea that, that it's our responsibility as a Christian is to invite people to a gathering, and then we place the responsibility of leading them to Jesus on Pastor Clark. That if his Sunday sermon is good enough, then they will be invited into the kingdom of heaven. And our job is to just get them to this place. And I think it falls short of the fullness of God's call upon our life. 
Matthew 28 says to go into all the nations and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe that we have been called by God to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a little boy, I attended the local Beaver Scout troop, and I remember what they taught me still to this day, that sharing is caring. Sharing is caring. So over the next five weeks, we want to begin a series and camp out in a place in a, in a series that, that we're calling Reach, because I want you to be able to share your story of God's love in your life with anyone, anywhere, anytime. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, I might be busy for the next five, wi- five weeks, please do not do that. Please do not check out. I know that this is a place of discomfort for many of us, but we want to see the kingdom of God have a population explosion. I desire in my heart, I I believe it's the desire of God's heart as well, that there would be many people who would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and that part of his call upon our life is is for us to walk this Christian adventure that should be exciting and thrilling and scary and unpredictable and entirely wholly dependent on the provision of the Holy Spirit. You know, I want to share with you as well that in kids' church, we're doing the same thing. GT Kids right now, we're going through a series called Share the Good News. And parents, I want you to see this challenge card today. And on the back, it has a challenge for your child that I would ask for you to complete with them as well. It's fun, it's exciting, but, but we really want this to be a family experience. And, and I've been feeling convicted lately as a dad that that if I desire to see something produced in my own children, I need to model it. You know, and it's, it's not a low view of God that, that somebody who doesn't have a Christian role model in their life won't step into a role of faith or, or live out that faith, but it's just a reality of the developmental stages of childhood. At some point, our children become questioners. You know, I remember... Um, you know, as a young child, my mom always telling me to wear my bike helmet. As I was going out on my, mic, on my bike, wear your helmet, wear your helmet, wear your helmet. And we know that that's a very good idea. I understand the why, so I don't crash and die, right? Like, it's a good idea to wear your helmet. But, but I remember the moment that I stopped wearing my helmet, I looked out the back window and I saw my mom on her bicycle riding from the school to my home, not wearing her helmet. And it was that moment forward that I thought to myself, it's not that important. She has to say that because she's my mom, but it's not important enough for her to do it, so I'm not going to do it. Church, I want to challenge you this morning to model what you want to see mimicked in the future generation. Model, not only in our own children, but our spiritual children as well, model what we want to see grow in them. And if we continue to ask our kids to invite their friends to GT Kids, if we continue to ask our students to invite their friends to junior high and senior high, but we sit here every Sunday morning and for the last number of years have never brought an unchurched friend to church, at some point our kids will notice. 
Walk out the faith and model what you want to see reproduced in the next generation. I want to call this message, Reach In to Reach Out. I found that in order to be effective in reaching out, first we must reach in because there are some obstacles that exist. We want to be honest about them. Sometimes they're self-made. Sometimes they're men-made or, or constructed by the enemy, but they have gotten in the way of outreach, and I believe that God wants to begin to tear those down so that we may proceed with a bold witness. Now, if you join me this morning in reading God's Word, Romans chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 8. We good? We're there? Romans 1, verse 8 to 17. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but this fa thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Well, that's so good. It gives me a little excited. Paul's writing to the church in Rome, this group of believers that he doesn't know personally, but he prays for them all the time. The Roman church has an interesting background, and its, its cultural makeup is, is unique. See, we know very little about the beginning of the church in Rome, but we do know from the book of Acts that Jews from Rome were among those who saw the pouring out of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And it's reasonable to assume that some of them were among the 3,000 men converted that day. Now, they would have brought back their newfound faith in Jesus, the Messiah, back to uh, Rome. And so the church in Rome had its origins in the synagogue. And by the, first, uh, by the first century AD, many Jews had immigrated to Rome to make up a significant portion of the population. So as such, Rome was filled with many synagogues. But there were also many Gentiles present in the church, Gentiles meaning non-Jews. They would be what the Bible calls God-fearers. They worshipped God, they, they honored God, but they did not subscribe to the practices and culture of Judaism like circumcision. However, the character of the church changed drastically uh, when the 
the Jewish character of Christianity took a change in 49 AD. You see, the emperor, out of exasperation with squabbles among the Jews about Jesus, mandated that all Jews leave Rome. And so overnight, the church in Rome became virtually 100% Gentile. Now, by the time Paul is writing this letter, the Jews had been allowed back into Rome, but it was a very different climate. They came back to a church that was dominated by Gentiles, and you can imagine the social tension that this created, that those who stood in the heritage from which Christianity had sprung and played leadership roles in that process, they were now in the minority. And it's into this situation that Paul enters, and he writes a message that he says he would have preferred to deliver in person. And the message, the theme of this gospel, the theme of this letter is that we are justified by faith. And because of that truth, it changes the way that we are to live our lives. And I want to camp there this morning, that we need to reach into ourself and allow our justification by faith to change the way that we live our lives, that we need to reach in so that we may reach out. My first point this morning is get together, be encouraged. Get together, be encouraged. Verse 11 says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Get together, be encouraged. Paul, the author of the book of Romans, along with much of the New Testament, who was mainly credited with the spread of the gospel during the first century, writes to the Romans and tells them in his introduction that he longs to be with them. Why does he want to be with them? To be encouraged. I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. See, in verse 11, there seemed to be this possibility in in Paul's address that, that it could be interpreted that he had something for the Romans, that he had a blessing that would flow in only one direction, from Paul to the church. But that is not what he intended. So he quickly changes his, his, his language. He says the blessing is reciprocal. There is a blessing to each believer when they gather together in Jesus' name. To see faith lived out among others releases faith and encouragement in our own life. And in turn, we are more apt to step out in faith and courage. And when we gather together and we give that testimony, it encourages those around us to do the same. It's a cycle that God has created that he intends to continue and continue and continue for his church. You know, I'm going to tell you something this morning that is not going to sound very pastoral. I do not like Christian plays. I do not like them. Christmas pageants, they like, they drive me a little bit crazy. Here, I, I, want, I want to tell you why. Now, I'm not opposed to the idea of plays or communicating the gospel in creative ways. I understand that different people have different gifts and that they can use each of those to glorify God. My undergraduate degree is in theater studies from a secular university. So I understand the need to have art that glorifies and honors God. But here's the thing. I think that some of the time, at least some of the time, some of the time we do these things, we create programs and events and 
plays and we call it outreach and we do it because we lack the courage to go out and just talk about Jesus. When I was in high school, I was in a youth group and we put on a Christian play and we rehearsed for hours each week and we made costumes and we built sets and we memorized lines and we performed this play and we, we did it, we said, because it was an outreach but we never sat down and prayed for one another to have the courage to share our faith with our family or our friends. There weren't any converts as a result of this play. There weren't any new attendees at our youth group. We, we felt good about it, and we had a party afterwards, but I just, I need to ask myself, where was the fruit in that effort? You know, I heard a pastor talk about a conference that he attended as, as he was planting a church. He went to this conference with several big-name speakers, and, and, and one of the speakers was talking about the Christmas pageant that they do at their church, and it sounded amazing. You know, they had months and months of preparation with people, you know, volunteering 10 to 15 hours a week, and they made costumes, and they built sets, and the church spent thousands and thousands of dollars on making this event happen. And the pastor who was, who was planting a church, he had a question. He approached the speaker afterwards, and, and it, wasn't with, uh, it wasn't with an undermining spirit. He had a legitimate question. He said, wouldn't it just make more sense? He said, first of all, I think that's amazing. That I, I really hope that I'm in a position one day in my ministry to have those resources to be able to sow that much into an event. But, but wouldn't it have made just a little bit more sense to take some of those tens and 15 hours a week and, and all of those people who made contributions and, and all of that money and just get together and pray with one another that, that those people would go out and tell their neighbors about Jesus? And it would be free? And the pastor said, well, of course it would, but people won't do that. Sometimes we just don't do those things and we create these systems, these structures that, that we will place in the category of outreach because, because we lack the courage to go out and share our faith personally with the people in our lives. Now, I'm not trying to undermine significant efforts being made by the church to reach people but my youth group didn't do a play because it was the most effective way to come to Jesus. We did it because we were too scared to just go out and talk to our friends about Jesus. It's important that we gather together. We need to reach in to get together to be encouraged. Get together and get encouraged. Get together and go and be courageous. I want to suggest to you that if Paul the Apostle needed mutual encouragement in his faith, then so do we. You know, we can read at the end of the book of Ephesians, Paul is, is writing this letters and he says, I need your prayers that I may speak boldly as I ought because I don't always do the very thing that I'm called to do. I think we can say that we've been there before, that we know the thing that we are called to do, but we don't always do it. And it's sometimes it's because we lack the courage to just speak it out loud. And here's Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, saying, pray for me, because sometimes I don't want to speak as I know that I must. 
Here is the job that Jesus has left for me. I need courage. I need encouragement. I want to be with you so that we may encourage one another. Let's get together and pray for those things and then do it. There's obligation and eagerness. Verse 13 says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul tells the Romans that he desires to be with them to reap a harvest among them as well to the rest of the Gentiles. Now, the harvest that Paul is referring to is fruitfulness, and he's seeking it for the church and for those who are not yet a part of the church. It's fruitful to be gathered together for the sake of encouragement, to be able to enable one another to perform the task that Jesus calls us to, uh, Jesus calls us to because in doing so, we step out in faith and grow and we become more like Jesus. That is fruitful. But Paul also desires to see people who don't know Jesus yet to be moved to salvation. He says, I'm looking for the harvest among you and the rest. He's obligated to the Greek and the barbarians. Now, the word here, barbarians, the Greek word is barbaroi, and it refers to anybody that is not Greek. That is the, uh, the, the word that Greeks used, uh, often mocking and imitating other languages. That was their guttural sound of what the la other languages would have sounded like. So it's a term that's, that's somewhat offensive, referring to anybody that's not already, already a part of them. He says, I'm obligated to the Greek and everybody else. He's obligated to the wise and the foolish. Paul is obligated to share the gospel with everyone, but he's also eager to preach it to everyone. Are we eager to share the gospel? I think it's fair to say that we're eager to see the results of the gospel, but we're not always eager to be in a situation where we need to be relying on God's transformational power, right? I think we're eager to see the results, but we're not always eager to be in that position. Think about some of the stories that we read in Scripture where we, you know, where we would hold these up as these transformational power moments of God intervening and, you know, and shaking the world for, for His glory. And, you know, I think about, uh, about Elijah, who's just a man. But Elijah calls on God at Mount Carmel and fire comes down from heaven and everyone walks away amazed. Wouldn't that be amazing? You know, there's this piece of me that thinks like, man, I want to be able to pray and see fire come down from heaven. Everyone would be amazed. Not with me, but with you, God. So let's see that happen. But the reality is that Elijah was facing hundreds of angry prophets who were ready to kill him. And I'm speaking to many, many people who already love Jesus. Paul and Silas were singing hymns to God. Chains fell off, and a man gave his heart to the Lord, then and there, and then immediately ran home and told his family so that they too would know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Man, wouldn't that be cool? 
that if we could that if we could preach like that, if we could pray like that, and those chains would fall off, and that that people would immediately come to faith and run out and tell everybody else. Yeah. But Paul and Silas's chains were their own after they had been stripped and beaten with rods in the marketplace for telling people about Jesus. Oh. The disciples spoke in languages of many and preached to people in a language that's not their own. Wow. Many people came to know Jesus that day. That's amazing. And I know people who have stories and testimonies of experiencing that in their life. And I think to myself, man, wouldn't it be cool if that happened? And then I think to myself, when's the last time that I told somebody about God in my own language? My thought is that we agree in principle that we're obligated to share the gospel. But do we do it? Matthew 28 has Jesus' great commission for us to go Go where? Into all the world. For what? To make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Lord. When's the last time that we did that? When's the last time that you did that? That you discipled someone? That you shared your faith with someone? That you baptized someone? Give... If we don't know, I think that's a bit of a problem because that's what Jesus has left us to do. We agree in principle that we're obligated to share the gospel and that we're eager to experience those supernatural and powerful moves of God as a result. But if we're not going, the only place that we look for that result is here and in our quiet times. And I'm thankful to God that that happens sometimes. But when I open up my Bible and I see those transformational power moments of God, almost every time I read it, they're in a situation where they're relying on God to come through. Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. One of my favorite verses that gives me great comfort and scares me at the same time. Luke 12, 11 and 12 tells us that when you're standing before the authorities, do not be anxious about how you will defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say in that very hour. When will he teach us? The moment you need it. Not before, which would make me a whole lot more comfortable. Not afterwards in hindsight but in that very moment when Holy Spirit tells us to do something that stirs up that question, that hesitation, those, those moments of fear. Maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's telling your boss about Jesus. Are you crazy? Are you crazy? When you stand before the authorities, Holy Spirit will teach you to, what to say in that moment when we reach in and speak with boldness, understanding that it is our obligation and we do it, we will grow in eagerness. Because I believe that God, what God says is true. And I haven't stepped out in faith and seen him drop the ball. And when we experience God's faithfulness, I think there's a part of us that wants to experience that again. 
but it takes a step of obedience to the obligation. Obligation is not a dirty word. It's a privilege. It's a calling. It's a we get to. And even when we don't feel like it, when we begin to practice it, man, then that eagerness will grow. I am not ashamed. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God. It is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You know, I was thinking this as I was preparing for this morning about moments in my life that I could share with you when I was specifically affected by shame. And it was not the most comfortable thought process to be on. But, but for the sake of being transparent this morning, I would just like to share with you one of those moments where I was specifically affected by shame. It was a dark chapter and season in my life. I brought a photo. Could you put it up on the screen for me, Isaac? It was a dark season. There are many, many dark seasons. I know, I'm joking. I'm joking. It was hard to admit that I bleed white and blue for a while. It's not so hard anymore, but I think some of our Senators fans here this morning can really relate to how I was feeling a number of years ago. But I do want to share with you something seriously. I remember the first moment that I was ashamed of the gospel after I had become a follower of Jesus. It was the summer after my first year of university and I'd come back to live with my parents for a few months. And I was invited by some former high school friends to attend a party and I went. And as you can imagine, the party was not filled with soda pop and board games. But that didn't bother me because although I was in the world, I was not of the world. My friends, I was going to be a light in the darkness. I believe that those things that in my previous lifestyle held a grip on me that I had been set free from them, and the truth is that I, that I had. But a few hours in, I noticed a girl that I had known from high school, and she wasn't well because of some of the choices that she had made that night. And she was lying on this bed in a common room, and I wasn't sure what to do. I remember wrestling with the idea of calling an ambulance to help her because she seemed really not well, but nobody else seemed to be concerned. And while I was with her, hoping that she was going to be okay, someone in the room made an offensive comment to people of faith. And he paused, and he said, wait, no offense to anyone who might believe that stuff. And it was this, this moment where he was, he was waiting for a response, and I knew that this was my moment, that I could share my faith and, and stand up gently but firmly for truth, and my heart was racing. My palms were sweating, and my head was spinning, and not because of the soda pop, but I was faced with an opportunity to share, but I didn't. And the moment passed, I felt like the Holy Spirit had nudged me not to stand up and preach, but just to stand up and be counted. And the moment passed, and the same guy who made the initial remark burst out laughing when no one spoke up and continued on with his opinion about the idiots that believe in God. You know, I didn't respond because I was too concerned about the social implications of my decision. 
I didn't respond because I feared man more than I feared God. I didn't respond because I was ashamed of the gospel. I felt like Peter, a man who spent time in the presence of God, yet still denied him when confronted. It was like there was a rooster that crowed. Proverbs 29, 25 says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. It was my fear of what others would think of me that led me to refuse the Holy Spirit. I was scared of rejection. What would happen if I put my name to Jesus' name? What if they rejected me? What would they say? What if they didn't want to be my friends anymore? And the sad reality is that, that I don't know any of them anymore. I can't even recall their names. But I struggled with this idea for years. I, I, I know that I'm supposed to fear God more than I feared man, but I didn't. So how does that change? Because, because I, there's, there was a desire within me for that to change. And if saying it made it so, then we would be fine. But, but it didn't. And I really felt gripped by this fear of man. 1 John says the only thing that casts out fear of man is a deep love relationship with Father God. And then we can say, like the author of Hebrews, that the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? You know, I still get those sweaty palms and racing heart and seeds of doubt when, when I feel Holy Spirit nudging me to, to stop and do something or to stop and say something or, or to pray for somebody. I still have those thoughts of what will, they, what, what will they think if I actually do that right now? What will they think if I ask to pray with them? What will they think if I, if I share my faith with them boldly? But it doesn't hold the same power over me that it used to doesn't stop me the way that it used to stop me. You know, I have a friend who is not a believer, and he knows that I'm a pastor, and he has told me that if he had known I was a pastor when we met, he never would have connected with me to begin with. But I've shared with him every time the Holy Spirit led me to do so. And every time he did, every time Holy Spirit urged me to share with my friend, I got nervous. I still felt my pulse change a little bit. I still felt a little bit of perspiration on my palms. But the Holy Spirit is gentle and persistent, and eventually he gets through my own hard-heartedness and stubbornness, and I shared with him every time he's asked me to do so. And, you know, recently he became quite ill, and the Holy Spirit told me to pray for him. And I told Holy Spirit that he was off on this one, that he was wrong because he didn't understand what might happen if I said that and I was rejected. That Holy Spirit didn't understand the implications of what he was asking me to do. Because I had the better idea. My plan was better, right? Holy Spirit persisted, and I eventually did. And I asked my friend, I said, I know that you don't believe this stuff, and I'm like a little bit nervous about sharing this with you, but I really feel like God is asking me to pray for you right now. Would you, would you be okay with me praying for you? 
uh, here's the thing. I, you know, like I know that God died for my sins, but he also died uh, for sickness. And I've experienced like healing and I've experienced like physical transformation, both when, when I pray for other people and people have prayed for me. And, and I would just really hate to be wrong on this issue that, that maybe God wants to do something in your life right now. And, and, and I, I, I feel, I would feel like I was stealing from you if I just didn't say this out loud. And he's like, Okay, fine. <laughs> and I prayed for him. And you know what? He didn't run away. He didn't reject me. He didn't think that I was crazy and not care about me anymore because we have this real relationship and he's fine now. He continues to ask me about my faith. And every time Holy Spirit nudges me to share, I just do that. I still will experience the fear of man. But I'm now more concerned about missing out on an opportunity for God to do something amazing than I'm worried about being wrong or risking my reputation. See, I really care about my friend. And what I shared with you a few weeks ago, I stand behind it, that this, that this picture that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God because we have all sinned, I really believe what the Bible says that Jesus is the way. Not one way, but he is the way. And I had to share that with my friend as Holy Spirit leads me to do so. And if I don't, I'm not really loving him. And so I do. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Would you stand together as we read this, please? I'm going to put it up on the screen. I wonder if you would read this with me. That if you would say it out loud as a declaration. Romans 1, 16. Can we throw it up there, Isaac? Perfect. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I can stand before you today with a clean conscious and heart and say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And that is my story, that his power flooded into my life and transformed my destiny. And he calls me, Jesus, the one who did this for me, the last thing that he says is to go share this. Go into all the world. Make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to take a little creative liberty this morning, and I think that God is okay with this. Go into all of Arnprior. Go into all of White Lake. Go into all of Ottawa region and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Father God, we just, we just thank, you, uh, thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray, I pray that you would continue to just convict our hearts 
that conviction would lead to repentance, that as we go, that, Lord, it is our desire to experience those powerful transformation moments. But we understand that, that when we read your word, that, that, that most of the time that happens outside of our doors. So give us the courage, Lord God. Give us the sensitivity to hear your voice. Give us the, the willingness, Lord God, to pause, to risk our own reputation, our own feelings, to overcome our own fear. And may it be true of us, Lord, that we are more concerned about missing out on an opportunity that you are providing for somebody to know the love of Jesus than we are concerned about being wrong that we're concerned about our reputation. I'd just like to invite Stephanie and the worship team to return. And, and, and before we leave this place this morning, I, uh, I just want to quickly recap. Get together to be encouraged. Get together to get courage. Get together to be courage, courageous that we may grow in our understanding of the obligation, of the privilege of sharing the gospel with everyone around us, and that we may also grow in eagerness to do so. May it be true of us that we could say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because we understand that it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I want to encourage everybody this morning, perhaps there's somebody here this morning who would say, yeah, that's me. I have felt hindered. I have felt defeated by fear. I have sensed those moments in my life where Holy Spirit has asked me to go and do something, and because I was fearful of man, I didn't do it. Now, this is not condemnation. But it is an invitation to get together, just like Paul needed as well. And in Ephesians, we read him saying, pray for me that I may do as I ought. We want to pray with you. We want to pray with one another that we may mutually encourage one another in our faith. And that we would move forward with boldness. And that people in our community, in this time, would experience the transformational power of God. So if you would like prayer this morning, whether you've experienced that or not, or you just need more courage, or you experience that courage that we're talking about, church, for those of you who have that courage, your brothers and sisters in Christ need you. They need you to pray for them as well. So as the Lord leads this morning, Perhaps it looks like you coming forward. Perhaps it looks like you praying with the person standing beside you right now. Let's continue to worship and pray for one another that we would be encouraged, that we would be courageous, that we would understand our obligation and grow in eagerness, and that we would not be ashamed of the power of the gospel.